Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in St. Luke's Gospel, reading there in the 24th chapter, beginning at the 4th verse. And it came to pass, as they were very much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, and as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. The weather outside may be rather cold and snowy, but I hope that all of us are happy that we are here in God's sanctuary this morning and that we have the privilege of worshiping him. We may say, well, what is today? And of course, all of us know today is Easter. You perhaps notice that during the Lenten days, when you went by the church, you saw that the Luther Leaguers had put a cross and it was lying on the ground. Then perhaps as you passed by the church on Good Friday, or you came to our Good Friday evening service, you saw that the Leaguers had placed the cross upright and that it was bedecked in black. And then as you came to church this morning, if you looked at the cross on the lawn of the church, you found it still erect, but you found it arrayed in white. And you may have said to yourself, what does this all mean? Well, today is Easter, and this day started out as a dark, gloomy day, you can be sure. You recall that on Good Friday night we stood again at the cross of Calvary and we saw our Lord die and we saw his body taken from the cross and we stood and we waited patiently and in sorrow while his body was prepared as well as it could be and they placed that body in the tomb in Joseph's garden. And then the women and the men, they sat down, broken-hearted, filled with grief, filled with questions, filled with doubts. But the sun was lowering in the western sky on that Friday night, and that was the beginning of the Sabbath, and they hadn't finished the job, but they had decided that after the Sabbath they would come back and they would at least give him decent burial. That was Friday night, and then on Saturday we are told uh, that the chief priests and the elders went to Pontius Pilate, and they said, this imposter said when he was alive, uh, that he would rise again the third day, and they said, if the disciples should come and steal that body from the tomb, uh, then the last lie would be greater than any that had ever happened. And so they asked Pilate that they might have a guard, and Pilate gave them a guard, and the guard therefore came and surrounded the tomb and they sealed it on Saturday that no one would get near it and that no one could steal that body. On Saturday night when the sun went down, the ladies went shopping and they bought the other ointments that they wanted and that they needed in order to anoint his body. And then on this day, centuries ago, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, these women, and there were a number of them, they gathered together and they started up the Via Dolorosa out the north gate 
going to again the sepulchre and they were hurrying because they wondered whether they could still find the body in such shape that they could finish the anointing that they wanted to do. And as they walked along on this morning, on this dark, dreadful morning as far as they were concerned, they then thought to themselves, how are we going to get into the tomb? How can we women roll that rock away? And then suddenly there was an earthquake. And they felt the earth tremble beneath them and they ran to the tomb and they went in and it was empty. The body was gone. And there was no one there. And then suddenly we are told two angels appeared. There was a young man at the right and he told them, be not afraid. I know what you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. And then came the words, he isn't here. He is risen. Go tell his disciples. Easter means this. Easter means the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And as you and I say to ourselves, what does it mean to me? It ought to be this, that Easter, the resurrection of Christ from the dead, it ought to mean, and it is, it's the most comforting event in all human history. It is the most heartwarming. It is the most reassuring event that ever took place in this world, barring none. It is the most joyous, the most happy event for your heart and mind that ever took place. And this morning we may say to ourselves, is it, can I believe that Easter, the resurrection of Christ from the dead, can I believe that that's the most heartwarming, the most comforting, the most reassuring event in human history? And friends, you and I can. Because as we look at Easter and the resurrection of Christ, let's bear this in mind, that it is fully attested by circumstantial evidence. Let's look at the circumstantial evidence as surrounds the resurrection of Jesus. There were the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, they formed the guard. You and I would have to say, on the basis of the circumstantial evidence, could the disciples have gotten into that tomb and could they have robbed it of the body of Jesus? And you and I, on the basis of the record, have to say, how could they, when it was guarded by Roman soldiers and the tomb was sealed? And when that tomb was empty, and when the angel appeared and there was an earthquake, we know that when the Roman guards saw that the tomb was empty and the body was gone, they ran into Jerusalem to tell the chief priests and the scribes, and then they were bought off and they were told to say that they had fallen asleep, and the disciples came and stole the body from the tomb. Could it have been that Jesus really wasn't dead? And that again, this was a great hoax, and that he came out of the tomb. And you and I have to say, how could he have gotten out of the tomb when there were soldiers guarding it? And when the women went into that tomb, they saw the linen cloths that had been wound around his body. If the body had been stolen, no one would have stopped to have unwound the linen cloths from the body, but the body would have been taken with the linen cloths. But there were the cloths undisturbed. And the napkin, we are told, on the basis of the record that covered his face, was folded and it was lying at one place. We may say to ourselves, what is so comforting and so reassuring? And if we ask ourselves this morning, did this resurrection actually take place? Was there actually a bodily resurrection 
something that the women didn't ever expect to see and never even dreamed of. You and I must say it comforts us to know this on the basis of all the circumstantial evidence on the records that we have, the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus is fully attested. It comforts us to know that it is also attested by the eyewitnesses who saw him. Any judge will tell you that the greatest kind of evidence is eyewitness testimony. Did you see it? And when you and I look at the record and we say about the resurrection of Christ, sure I know that we are called credulous individuals, that how could somebody have risen from the dead? How in the world can you and I believe it? But the fact is the women saw him. They saw the risen Christ and they fell down at his feet and they worshipped him. And on that day we are told that Mary of Magdala, she saw him and she was the first and she touched him. And in the afternoon there was the apostle Peter who saw him. There was a private appearance of Jesus to Peter. And there were the two men to Emmaus that afternoon that saw him. And there were the ten disciples behind locked doors that night. They saw him and he ate with them. What are you going to do about it? If we in this 20th century are so credulous, nevertheless, let's know this, that beyond question, Easter, the resurrection of Christ from the dead, it is the most comforting, the most heartwarming, the most assuring and reassuring event in history. Why? Because it happened. The record of the eyewitness testimony is absolute. There is no fact in history that is more attested and more certain than the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And that ought to warm your heart and it ought to warm mine this morning. As you and I look at Easter and we say to ourselves, it is a comforting, a heartwarming experience. It is an event that ought to thrill my soul. Yes, why? Because it gives you and me the full assurance also that Jesus was no less than God the Son. He was the promised Savior. Supposing he had not arisen from the dead. Supposing the life of Jesus had ended at Calvary where we ended on Good Friday night. You and I would say to ourselves, was he the promised Messiah? Was he the seed of the woman that God promised would come from Eve? Was he the Messiah that Isaiah wrote about in his 53rd chapter when seven centuries before Jesus came he was describing Messiah? He was again the lamb without blemish and without spot. Was he the lamb that was to be led to the slaughter? Was Jesus of Nazareth the one? Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was stricken, smitten, and afflicted for us. Was he the Messiah, the promised Savior that God had promised in the Old Testament? Was he the virgin born? Was he God's son? And you and I may say if it had ended at Calvary, we'd have to say no. We would have to say he must have been an imposter. Maybe he believed that he was, but if he died on the cross and that was the end of him, then he was not the Messiah because the Old Testament had also said, as David prophesied of him, Thou wilt not abandon my soul unto hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. David had said, Messiah will rise again. And you know, one day they came to Jesus, and they said to him, If you are the promised Messiah, you prove it to us. Give us a sign from heaven. 
When you and I know his own people today denied that he was the Messiah, that he was the promised Savior, when he was asked that question, he said, I'll give you proof. I will give you an absolute proof, and I'll give you only one, because there is no greater proof than what I will give you. And he said, the proof that I will give you, the sign that will assure you that I and only I am the promised Messiah, is the sign of the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish and came forth, Jesus said, so I shall be in the bosom of the earth, and I shall come forth. In other words, he said, my resurrection. And he said it ahead of time. He said, if you want to know whether I am the Messiah, whether I am God's son, then I tell you ahead of time, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. I will rise from the dead on that he staked his identity. But when Easter came and he arose from the dead as he said he would, may I assure you of this, there is no greater evidence, there is no greater testimony that even God could give you and me today but that Jesus, the very son of Mary, the child of Nazareth, but that he was no less than the Messiah of God because he arose from the dead. That ought to warm your heart and mind this morning. That ought to give us courage and reassurance. There is no doubt about it. We can put our faith and trust in him, put it all in one basket. He was not an imposter. He was not one who had deceived himself. He was not one who was a schizophrenic. He was beyond question the Messiah, the promised Savior, because he arose from the dead. That comforts you and me this morning. That's why we can say of Easter and the resurrection of Christ, it is the most comforting event in human history beyond question. It's the most heartwarming thing that could ever come into your life and mine. It's the most joyous event. Why? Because it also fully assures you and me that God had accepted his sacrifice that he gave in your stead and mine. Supposing the life of Jesus had ended at Calvary. Supposing it had ended in his death and you and I would say, well, he was our Savior. He had come and didn't he pray on the cross and didn't he shout as you and I heard Good Friday night, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you and I may say, didn't he there in being forsaken of God, didn't he bear our guilt and our punishment on the cross? And you and I would have to say if it ended there, he thought he did. He thought that he, in being forsaken of God, that he had borne our guilt and our eternal punishment. But what good is a dead Christ? What good is a Jesus who is dead, who is claimed by a power over which he would have no control, death itself? But when he arose, the very fact that he arose, this is a glorious, comforting event that ought to cause you and me to sing our hallelujahs, our praise the Lord. We can say, God thereby in raising him from the dead has given you and me the absolute certainty that God has accepted his sacrifice, that on the cross Jesus did bear our guilt. He did bear hell for us. There's no doubt about it. It became a sweet-smelling savor and sacrifice to God. In other words, God says, I've accepted it in full. He met my justice. He paid it to the very nth degree. And I want to assure you that I've accepted it. I have raised him from the dead. And that is a comforting assurance on Easter. There is no doubt about it. When Christ died on the cross, he bore the equal of an eternity in hell for the entire human race, for you and me. No doubt about it, because God raised him from the dead, and God assures you and me, I have accepted it in full payment. He paid it in full. He paid the entire rap for the human race. 
when he died on the cross. Well, that's why I say this morning it's the most comforting, it's the grandest, it's the most reassuring event that ever took place in human history. And therefore it's this one because he arose that fully assures you and me beyond the shadow of a doubt that God gladly and willingly forgives you and me our sins when we ask him in the name of Christ. Oh, if his life had ended at Calvary, you and I may say, I turn to God every day and I ask God to pardon my sins. I ask him to forgive me. I ask him to wash my soul whiter than snow. And I ask him to do it in the name of Jesus Christ. But if Christ's life had ended at the cross, there would always be that nagging feeling of uncertainty in your soul and mine that we would say, but again, did Jesus do it for me? But the very fact that he arose from the dead assures you and it assures me, regardless of our sins, regardless of how ashamed you and I may be of the past, regardless of how in horror when we look to past guilt, we say, oh God, it seems to be so hopeless. Listen, Easter means this, that God gladly and willingly, when we say, God forgive me, in the name of Jesus who died for me and rose again, and God says, I gladly do it, I rejoice to do it. God says, I must do it. May I emphasize that this morning? God's got to forgive you and me. If when you and I ask him, and I don't care what our guilt may be, when you and I in repentance turn to him and say, God, forgive me for Christ's sake, if God wouldn't forgive you and me, he would cease to be God. He would be a liar. God's got to forgive you and me because of Easter. You raised him from the dead, and he says, I accepted it. You and I can therefore forgive ourselves every day because we can say, because my Savior lives, God accepted. He died for my sins regardless of how stinking dirty they may be. And therefore, when I ask for forgiveness in his name, God gladly and willingly forgives me. And that's why Easter, it's the most important event that ever took place in human history. If you take the resurrection out, it's the keystone of the arch. Nothing else means anything in the life of Christ. Then we ought to stop preaching. The churches ought to close their doors because if he isn't a living Christ, then there's nothing left because then again his sacrifice was for naught. Everything is vain. You and I ought to curse the day we were ever born. But oh, what a reassurance it is. How it comforts your heart and mind this event, the most comforting, the most glorious, the most reassuring event that ever took place in this world. Because it fully assures you and me also that since he is alive and he was raised from the dead, that God gladly and willingly, when in the name of Jesus we ask him to deliver us from hell and eternal punishment, that God says, I gladly do it. I rejoice to do it. I must do it. I want to do it. You know of any greater comfort than when we turn to God in Christ and say, God, again, will you deliver me from the eternal punishment that I deserve? I know that I have sinned and I deserve hell and damnation, but oh, my Christ, he arose from the dead in his name, and God, because he accepted him and he raised him from the dead, God says to you and me, the joy of my existence is to assure you that I cleanse you from your sins and that I deliver you from eternal death and damnation. And that ought to comfort you and me also as we say, what about Easter? What about the resurrection of Christ from the dead? Oh, do you know of any event that is more reassuring and more comforting to your soul and mine? It reassures you and me also that when we turn to God and on the basis of Christ, we say, for Christ's sake, God, when death comes to me and I am faithful to Jesus, Take me to heaven, will you? You and I may say, well, if Christ's life had ended at the cross, if there had been no resurrection, we would say to ourselves, 
I wonder whether there's heaven awaiting me, even though I have Christ. Isn't there a possibility that God may say to me, I know you put your faith in my son, Jesus Christ, but he wasn't the Savior. He died. He failed. Oh, no, but Easter says he didn't fail. He arose from the dead. And that means that in the moment again, when death comes to you and me and we have held on to Jesus, just as certain as God lives, we can console ourselves and say, because I put all my eggs in one basket, I put my faith in him, he who lives, I know that there is heaven and eternal life awaiting me. That's the comfort of Easter. Oh, it may not be the joy that you and I experience at Christmas as a child, but here is an enduring comfort. Here is something that makes the heart glad in the trials and in the difficulties in your life and mine in the moments when death comes. Easter, the resurrection of Christ from the dead, the most comforting, yes, the most heartwarming event that ever took place in human history because it also fully assures you and me that Christ actually conquered the grave for you and me. If there had been no resurrection, if the grave had held his body, and we would go to Jerusalem, we'd say, here is the tomb and here is his dead body, then we would say to ourselves, well, he may have been a great man. He may have thought that he did a lot for us, but if he couldn't conquer the grave, then the grave is bigger than he is. Then we'd look at the grave and we'd say, it's a horrible thing. It's a terrible thing to go down to the grave. But on Easter, he arose from the dead. He conquered the grave. And the very first place that he went, and in our Christian creed we ought to remember this, he descended into hell. The very first person that saw him alive was Satan. He went down to hell, and he declared to Satan, who thought that he was dead forever and that he had failed, You dirty rascal, I've conquered, I'm alive. Let me tell you, centuries ago this day, there was no rejoicing in hell. They saw the living Christ. Satan and the fallen angels saw a resurrected Lord. Conquest. Declared himself alive. He had conquered. He had conquered the grave. And that means the comfort that at the last day when he comes again, he will raise up your body and mine. And we may say, oh, how can that be? How can I believe in the resurrection of the body when again my body decomposes itself earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust? You and I may say, and when they, again my ashes underground shall get into streams of water and with the great water shed that some of my ashes may end up in the Pacific Ocean and some of my ashes may end up in the Atlantic Ocean, how in God's name can he raise up my body? And the answer is this. How great a Christ do you have? If on Easter he conquered the grave and he arose and he declared himself alive to those who were in the region of hell, my Christ is big enough. I don't understand it, no. But I do know that he's big enough to raise your body and mine in incorruptibility, a glorified body like unto the body of Jesus. And it ought to mean this, bringing Easter down in your life and mine. If Easter again, the resurrection of Christ, if it's the most comforting, the most heartwarming, the most reassuring event in human history, let's believe it this morning. And when we believe it, let's determine then, let's let nobody 
talk us out of the actual physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I know that from many pulpits today there will be heard the message of Easter and the resurrection, but not the bodily resurrection of Christ. There are those who no longer think that's very important. There are those who think that that is of no necessity, that is of no consequence, whether he arose or not from the dead. But if Christ be not raised, I mean physically, bodily from the dead, then the word of God says your faith is vain. Oh, there was Bob Ingersoll, you know, who spent quite a number of days going up and down on the Lyceum platform into our country. He was the great atheist, you know, and he would stand up and he'd thrill audiences by saying, if there is a God, let him strike me dead on the spot. And of course, God didn't strike him dead on the spot, and so he would laugh and ridicule. And he laughed and ridiculed the resurrection of Jesus and told his audience how, again, puerile they were and how credulous they were to believe it. And he told them that it was nothing but a hoax. And then he told them why even when he raised Lazarus, it was nothing but a hoax. And he told them that the reason why he raised Lazarus, that Jesus' power and his popularity were diminishing. And so he had the hoax with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, according to Bob Ingersoll. And he said that then they decided to have Lazarus hide himself in the tomb for four days. And then Jesus was to say, Lazarus, come forth. And Bob Ingersoll says, then he came forth and the people were too ignorant and uh, they believed that he had raised him from the dead. And then he thought he had made his point one night to an audience and he said, that's why he said, Lazarus, come forth. And then an old man in the audience got up and he said, listen, Mr. Ingersoll, he said, the reason Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, because if he hadn't said Lazarus, the whole cemetery would have come forth. That's Christian faith. Don't let anybody talk you out of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then let's determine this on this Easter day. Let's hold fast to the early Christian greeting. You know, the early Christians used to greet one another with this. They'd say, he is risen. And the other Christian would answer, he is risen indeed. And they carried a little symbol of a fish. It was one of the earliest symbols in the Christian church. The word fish in the Greek language is ichthys. It has five letters. And they made the five letters mean Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. Our bulletin had that on it not too long ago. The church went underground in the first century. It was a prohibited religion. Christians were to be killed on sight. They were to be thrown to the lions in the amphitheater in Rome. They were underground and they again, they would show the fish to one another. And that showed that they were Christians of an illicit religion. And again, they were underground, and they greeted one another on Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This is what kept them going. You know, the Christian church may go underground in America too. We've got an element in our country that is out to kill it. We've got an element that said this is the establishment, and it must go. Christ must go. The cross must go. His resurrection must go. The time may come, friends, and let's face it when you and I may have to go underground. Then we may greet one another. He is risen. He is risen indeed, and that'll keep us going. How many of you realize we've got something in church every Sunday that ought to remind us that the church was underground at one time and illicit? Did you ever look at the altar? You know what that altar is? 
that looks like a table. That's a tomb. That came out of the catacombs in Rome. The altar in any church, as you see it here, that's a tomb. And every Sunday, don't forget it. When you and I look at it, when I was down in the catacombs in Rome, you see any number of tombs and they worshipped underground. Don't you ever think with the powers of godlessness that are even rife in our country today, that we may not have to go underground and greet one another. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It's not very popular to be a Christian today, friends. I would like to remind you of that. Whenever you look at that old, remember it was a tomb. And underground, your forefathers and mine, they worshipped because their lives were at stake. They laid their Bibles and their scriptures on a tomb. That's what the altar is. Then we ought to determine this this morning. If you're going to the cemetery today, you ought to thank God that there was such a thing as Easter. Because Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, makes the cemetery a beautiful place. It makes it a temporary sleeping place for our loved ones. You're going to take a lily out to the cemetery this afternoon. You're going to put it on the grave of somebody that you've loved more than life itself. And you're going to say to yourself, just as this lily proclaims the resurrection of Jesus, I know that the body of my loved one will be raised and dead. You know what loneliness is? Have you had a death in your home? You know what it means to have an empty chair? You know what it means to be tired and lonely and you long for the companionship of somebody? Listen, Easter means you can go out and you can say, but they're only in the ground just temporarily. They will be raised at the last day and I shall be reunited with my loved one. And that's life, isn't it? The older you and I get and the longer we live. Companionship, friendship, this is what makes life so worth living. Oh, and we ought to uh, thank God that Jesus arose. And when you stand at the grave, uh, don't let despair get into your soul and don't let your tears be tears of hopelessness. I recall standing at the grave of my father. My mother was alongside of me. My folks grew up in South Chicago and they're both laid to rest in a cemetery in Hammond, Indiana, Oak Hill Cemetery. My grandfather had died about 30 years before my father, and I recall standing at the grave with my mother, consoling her and alongside again. When my father's grave was dug, you see, when my grandfather was buried, we didn't have vaults like we have, and so it didn't take too much room with vaults. It took a little more room. My father's grave was dug right alongside of my grandfather's, and they had to dig down part away of his grave to get the burial vault of my father down. When I stood there with my mother and I looked down and they had dug straight on down and I looked at my grandfather's grave, there was nothing left. It was solid dirt. There were no pieces of wood. There were no bones. It was gone. It looked so hopeless. My mother looked too. I tried to console her with my father's body about to be lowered into the ground. Let me tell you, when you stand and you see it, it's all gone. It's all gone in 30 years, nothing left. And then there came to me the comfort of Job of old, 
when everything seemed to be gone in Job's life and Job stood, you know, facing death and Job, when everything was gone, he was able to exclaim, well, I know that my Redeemer liveth, that at the latter day he shall stand upon this earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. That was my comfort at my father's grave. That was the comfort that I gave my mom as I stood alongside of her when everything seemed so hopeless. You see, I knew that my Redeemer lives. Does yours live? And if he does, you take your lily out to the cemetery and cry, yes, cry buckets. But oh, let them be tears of hope. Your Redeemer and mine, he lives. Nothing else matters. Thank God for Easter. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keeping unites your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.